Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest. But first, a quick thank you to our sponsor. The Real Estate Espresso Podcast is brought to you by International Coffee Firms. International Coffee Firms grows and sells specialty coffee in Boquete, Panama. They now have 11 fully operational coffee farms and they are 100% sold out. They are accepting reservations for farm number 12. If the idea of owning a safe, diversified offshore investment is intriguing to you, check out International Coffee Farms at internationalcoffeefarms.com. That's internationalcoffeefarms.com. We are back here on the weekend edition. We interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today, we have a great guest all the way from Ottawa, Canada. He's a specialist in student housing. Welcome to the show, Nick Legault. Thank you, uh, Victor. It's great to uh, to be on the on the call with you, Nick. We've known each other for quite a few years, and you did not start out as a real estate investor. Your journey was corporate employee, t- took the traditional path. How did you get into this crazy world of real estate investing? Oh boy, it, it kind of turned out as a fluke. To be uh, totally honest, my background is uh, engineering and business. When I finished uh, university. My intention was to be, you know, a great employee, great engineer, bring a lot of value to my employer. And uh, one of the things I realized is, uh, as I started my first engineering job, a startup company, they were, you know, relatively new. Uh, definitely, there was no pension or no support for employees in the future. So my thought was, hey, you know, I got to look after myself here. As a result of paying for, you know, uh, so many years of uh, school. I used to work construction as a laborer. So I was at the other end of a hammer, bringing material and doing the physical work. And I thought, why don't I try and buy a little something uh, with the few dollars that I've earned uh, through my engineering job? And that's kind of how it really all started by my first one. And then the lights turned on. I'm like, holy moly, somebody is paying me money for me to give them this box full of air. So I got to repeat this. I simply just continued uh, on and on. So we live in Ottawa, Canada, a city that is quite expensive. It's difficult to make the numbers work from a rental perspective. You decided to go into a little bit of specialty housing, specifically student housing. What took you there? It was kind of a an opportunity that came uh, knocking on my door. I, I really wasn't focusing on that very much at the beginning. I was kind of still working full-time as a as an engineer. One of my contractors, actually a junk removal company, says, hey, these people are looking to sell. They don't want to sell with an agent. It's in a great location. Why don't you give them a shout? And so I did. Ended up buying the property in this area of Ottawa. So we're talking about the University of Ottawa, a campus of about 50,000 students. So certainly a strong anchor from the point of view of market demand. You know, one of the things I talk about on the Real Estate Espresso podcast is making sure whenever you go into a market, not just is there a demand, but you also got to look at the supply side as well. And do you have the right supply demand balance? Oh, most definitely. There's definitely a much stronger demand uh, than there was supply. Um, some of the stats that we have is that there's about 50,000 students on campus. Roughly about 14,000 of that is housed on campus. And so about 35,000 has to be housed outside of campus. So some come from home, some travel, but a really big portion actually is people who are in and around that uh, campus area. So there's a huge amount of demand for student housing in those areas. So that's why I jumped on the opportunity to design a purpose-built student rental to target those uh, that tenant profile. 
one of the challenges always with student housing is to find that balance because you want to really charge by the bedroom, but you don't want to build a rooming house because that's a different classification of property. How did you overcome that? It's a very good question. A lot of it has to go with looking at what's allowed and what's disallowed and being very clear as to where the line is drawn and working the design to be within that line. Uh, So obviously we looked at every single opportunity to be able to maximize what we could do and we have. And as a result, it turned out to be be a really profitable opportunity, but we looked at reading the city bylaws as to what's allowed, what's disallowed uh, design for the place. So initially that particular property you're referring to, that was zoned multifamily. If I remember correctly, it was a fourplex. Is that right? That's correct. And how did you maximize the property in the end? I think there's a total of five or six bedrooms in total in the whole property. So one and two bedrooms on each floor sort of thing. The value add on this property is that it was a really deep lot. And with the current zoning allowance, we could demolish the property and build it way back, make it a long building. And with the extended floor plate and staying within the bylaw, we were able to add a total of six bedrooms per floor per unit and be able to make this a 24 bedroom multifamily uh, property to house 24 students, all within the guidelines of the bylaws. So this was, if I remember correctly, this was quite an old home. It was built around 1910, 1911, something like that. I remember seeing it under construction, seeing the various old timbers that form part of the bones of the property that you largely preserved. That's correct. Uh, part of the uh, part of the strategy was to see what can we do to be able to increase time and efficiency to get to the end as fast as possible. Uh, so we stripped down everything and we kept the part of the original structure just so that we could save the initial building corners, if, if I could say that, to be able to take off of those and be able to build it. One thing I've learned along the way is that building new is a lot easier than doing a major renovation or a refit. So that was definitely a major challenge to try and tie in a new building and keeping some of the corners of uh, the old structure of, you know, turn of the century, 1900 building, uh, wood structure and, and, you know, rubble stone foundation. One of the criticisms of student housing is that, you know, students are messy, they're dirty, they're loud, they'll damage your property. What's been your experience? Yes. Yes. All of the above? All of the above. Uh, however, part of the interesting thing is that if you know that this is going to be your tenant profile is you got to do what needs to be done to make sure that that's minimized as much as possible. So I'll give you a couple ex- example of uh, some little value add that we uh, designed into the building up front, knowing that this was going to be the case. We designed with a thicker drywall throughout the building. You know, code allowed us to have half inch drywall. We went with five eighths just because it's thicker, if they you know punch through it or if the, the door knocks on it, they're not gonna break the drywall, it's only gonna be a little dent. Another really good one is we insulated every single wall. I mean, every single wall. So that uh, noise doesn't transfer as much, so on and so forth. Uh, we made sure that they had all the amenities that they could within each of their rooms. TV access, plug, sitting area, a bed area. So if they wanted, they could live within the rooms or join the common space as well. So a lot of little things was uh, created and designed to make sure that the durability of the property of the product was going to be there long term. However, uh, students are students. Yes, there has been parties in some of my properties. Uh, yes, they have seen some damage, but having done a lot of the legwork up front, uh, the repairs are quick. 
generally and, and are very inexpensive. I love that. One of the other criticisms I often hear about student housing is that you know students are not in the property for 12 months of the year. Are you charging a 12-month lease? Uh, what are you doing in the off months? How are you handling that? Yes. So this is a very, uh, very good question. Uh, so we do sign 12-month leases. However, uh, in the last two years, what we've done is uh, we've given tenants option. So I'll give you a really good example. If, for example, uh, we have a room as part of a lease that is available, I'll use an easy number, uh, you know, it's $700 or $800 for the room value on a standard 12-month leases. If, for example, the tenant says, hey, you know, I'm only here for eight months, I don't want to rent for 12 months, what do we do? We kind of d- divided the different floors to say, hey, if there's any eight months students out there, we're going to put them on this floor so that we're trying to have the whole unit turnover into eight months with a new group or with a different strategy, which is for the summer, which we like to sometimes put a unit into Airbnb. So that's one strategy. The other thing is if they choose eight months, if your standard rent is 700, your eight month is going to be say 900. And then if you want to go for four months, uh, we generally add another 200 to $1,100 uh, per month for that space. And then we lump it into the lease portion uh, and lease it out to them. So if they're, if they want to stay shorter term than 12 months, we generally increase the rents accordingly, or if they want to have a lower rent, they can rent for the 12 months. So you potentially get the benefit of having a higher rental rate with coverage on eight months and you get some Airbnb revenue during the summer months as well when there's high short term demand. Absolutely. This summer, we wouldn't probably, not, we would definitely not uh, focus to have a full unit vacant in the uh, from September to January, from January to May. If we do have you know that demand for an eight month lease, then we focus it all in one unit, and then we plan to have that unit converted to Airbnb uh, for the summer. The great thing about this is that it takes about two to three days to really clean up the place and stage it up for Airbnb for the summer, and then. When we come around for the September rush for rent, we use the Airbnb as our uh, suite, as our visiting suite for anybody who wants to come around, for the students who wants to come and pre-lease their rooms in, on the other floors through that Airbnb unit when the unit is not rented. So it works phenomenally uh, because for Airbnb units, everything's furnished. They see it all you know, nice and, and clean and you know, well-organized. So it really works in that regards. If you were to compare, let's say, dollar per square foot, and I don't know if you've done this calculation, between just a straight market rental versus student housing, how do the numbers compare? Yes, so I've done the calculation. Uh, for this particular building, our dollar per square foot is uh, 345 a square foot per month. And a standard rental for this quality of property probably be closer to two two and a quarter per square foot. So we're a good 30% more per square foot for that property by having a student rental. But that's considering uh, a 12 month lease. So again, if we have uh, short term people that are in there, that increases again. Well, for those investors that are familiar with dollar per square foot metrics, you know, rents over $3 a square foot are astounding. Those are extremely high rents. Absolutely. In fact, you know, a lot of the projects that we do, you know, we're quite happy with rents of $1.60, $1.70 a square foot. And those numbers work. Now, in our case, our construction costs are a lot lower, perhaps, but still, rental rates over $3 a square foot are just phenomenal. Yes, yeah, so they, they really are. That's the great thing about uh, student rentals. The bad thing is, I mean, there's a little bit more 
uh, work for the management. But definitely the net positive is definitely net positive. One of the headwinds that universities are facing, not just here, but also I think continent-wide, is a higher and higher percentage of classes being transitioned from classroom to online courses. Uh, do you see that as a potential threat to student housing in the future? I think there's going to be a demand for that. However, one thing that we've really noticed is that um, some people want to be on campus. They want to have, especially if you're speaking with the students or if you're talking with them, the students want to have the student experience. They want to have their friends. They want to get out of the house, The internet, especially the international students, to say, hey, I want to go to another country. I want to learn this experience. I want to learn whatever program that they're taking. So yes, I think that the long-term benefit of taking your courses online is definitely there and alive and will take a big big part of the market. However, I think that the, the system of education is still well ongoing. Get a better education and take advantage of you know, the opportunities that are available for them uh, in the world as a result of getting that better education. So uh, yes, there could be you know more demand for online education, but we're not seeing it on the streets here for our properties. I love that. Well, Nick, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Yes, the best way to reach us is through our website. Uh, we have all our contact information there. It is buildinginvestments.ca, buildinginvestments.ca. And then on this website, you can just uh, go in the contact and then uh, you can send us an email or give us a shout. We'll reach back to you. Fantastic. Well, for the listeners at home, you know, student housing is one of those asset classes that's not talked about an awful lot. In fact, when you go to the municipality, it doesn't matter what city you live in, there is not generally a separate classification for student housing. It would actually be considered discriminatory. There is housing and that's it. There's no such thing as student housing, at least, at least legally. But you can target your product, you can market your product to that specific population. And that's what Nick's done here. He's developed a product specifically targeting the student population and built physically the right product for that market. So I love what you've done. I've uh, visited the property. It's beautifully finished. And you have put together what I consider to be one of the strongest student offerings that I've seen anywhere in this city, perhaps one of the strongest ones in North America. So I love what you're doing. If you want to learn more, definitely reach out, connect with Nick at buildinginvestments.ca. That's .ca, not a .com, but .ca, because we're in Canada. And in the meantime, have a great rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.